Welcome to the Dr. Mudgill Podcast. I could not be more excited. I mean, truly, I'm so excited to have Mr. Cartoon in front of me. Uh, you know, I watched Ellie Originals uh, last weekend. You know, we're all stuck on quarantine. And my wife, we're flipping through Netflix, and she's like, you know, let's check this out. I was like, all right, awesome. You know, I didn't know anything about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was blown away. First of all, like, that whole era of music is, like, the shit that I love. You know, like, you know, during college and, you know, Cypress Hill and all that stuff. And, you know, the mm. tours that you guys all went on. And I, I know of you. Like, I knew yeah. you were like, a legendary figure in the tattoo world and you had tattooed literally i mean everybody eminem snoop kobe i mean everyone has sure. been through you know, your your tattoo studio but what i was so moved by was yeah. just a the breadth of everything that you do um and just like you as a human like as an individual just just the energy the vibe i got and uh you know i reached out to you on instagram that night i just literally i just sent you a direct message we've never met don't know each other at all and then you hit me up the next day, which just speaks yeah. to the type of character that you have, man. And uh, I just can't thank you enough man, <laughs> for being here. I really appreciate you. Hey, I'm grateful to be here, you know, and um, thanks for reaching out, you know. Yeah, man. So, I mean, just to dive right in, man. So, you know, yeah. the, the documentary was amazing. I mean, it was basically expansive from like you from your early, early, early days up until present. And just to kind of like sort of dive in one of the things that really struck me was your parents like you know they're so cool like you know i just thought your dad just seemed like such a yeah. cool guy and 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 you know just really it just seemed like such an environment to grow up in which i think was and i, and I don't mean to you know be presumptive but i assume that was somewhat of a unique circumstance like you know every household probably wasn't didn't have like a mom and a dad and like, you know, even when your mom was talking about like your artwork, you know, she pulled out a piece of art that you made when you were like four years old and, you know, you were very advanced. It's kind of like a kid who sits at a piano, who's like a genius and, you know, literally just can play, you know, they hear something. And they yeah. play. That's kind of like what your art was like, you know, at four years old, I, I think that's how old you were. Like, you know, kids are drawing stick figures and stuff. You know, I have kids, yeah. and, you know, that's the type of stuff that were drawn at that, that, sure. that age. And you were drawing these like complex, you know, like appendages on on you know fingers and like little knuckles and stuff and your mom actually you know she was like wow there's a gift here and like you know sure. they really nurtured that and i was really moved by that you know and even when they talk to your parents like now you know just they seem like just so embracing yeah. your talent Thank you know you. can you talk about that a little bit man like what it was like and you know how, if it was different from like your friends parents and stuff i mean that's a that's a great observation uh, it was different from my friends. Most of my friends were from single parent households um, where the dad was maybe incarcerated or just flat out missing or went to Mexico or something, you know what I mean? And uh, my my household, if, if there is any type of love or, or uh, a gift, it's, it's my household. So inside my home was very loving. There was soul music on classic rock of the day, disco in the early 70s, you know. Uh, I don't know, my parent, my old man's like a semi uh, stand-up comedian. He's, he would do his material there in the kitchen and we'd all laugh. And my mom's like a, a great woman, you know, and uh, they just emotionally were there. You know, they, they worked a lot. Both of them worked. And we, we didn't know these like latchkey kid or any of that. Because I had so much love, um, I didn't feel that way when they were at work. I was able to take care of myself as young, and I would dive into my artwork. So that was kind of my fantasy, 
um, is is whatever I was into or whatever I wanted to see, I would just draw it. So it was a way for me to manifest what I was thinking into reality. I just yeah. didn't know it back then. I just it made me feel good, so I kept doing it. And I remember when I was like, so I, it's interesting because I actually I grew up in a single parent household, and you know it was just my mom who's a she was a government doc. You know she worked no. for the VA hospital in St. Albans wow. in Queens, and I was kind of like a, my granddad lived with us, but he was you know he just basically was there to make sure I didn't kill myself or get into trouble, but he wasn't yeah. like you know a huge sort of like force and. You know, it's just, I always, now, like, you know, like, I have kids, and, you know, my wife and I are married, we have a great relationship, and, and there's so much love in the house. I always wonder, man, like, because I saw that when I was watching your, the documentary, I was like, you know, it really, I think it has a huge effect, and I even, I'm sure you probably watched the Jordan documentary on Sunday night, sure. um, but he, he talked about that, how, how he was so different, because he had a mom and a dad growing up. And how that was different than all of his buddies and on his teams and you know, it really grounded him and like taught him certain yeah. values, which are latent, I think. And I really picked that up from you, like from the kind of the mm -hmm. way you were, you, and you're kind of like different than the other figures in the documentary in a weird way, in like a sense that you had that. And that's one of the observations I had. And I also like, you know, you got into like a little trouble. It looked, sounded like, but never anything serious. Like, you know, like. You, from what I got, like, you know, like you got busted yeah. for tagging a wall or like, you know, doing graffiti yeah. or something somewhere, but you never like got caught up in like serious shit or got in trouble for getting, getting involved with serious shit, you know? Yeah, it, it, it was all around me, but uh, the art saved me. Like my old man kept me busy, not to cut you off, but he would say, hey, I'm picking you up at four, five o'clock. And that's when kids start getting into yeah. a lot of trouble. You know what I mean? So I was able totally, to man, see yeah. some. I was able to see some live, all-out gangbanging in full 3D in the 80s. But that foundation I had from the inside, I was more worried about my old man kicking my ass than I was getting uh, fucked up in the street, right? So I learned just enough of that. I got, I mean, you had no choice. You had to go to 10 people high. You're going to be around gang members, you know what I mean? Right. So that whole, whole old school, it's a real West Coast thing of, um, embracing gangs, embracing your neighborhood, neighborhood pride, Latino pride, uh, Samoan pride, black pride, you know, like you're able to kind of uh, grasp on and, you know, Pedro is like Yugoslavian kids, Italian kids, so it's really mixed up. But uh, I just fell in love with the art, art at a young age, graffiti art just floated in my boat. I thought that was the greatest shit ever. Yeah. And I was able to talk my way out. The detectives would come in, and I'd throw my mouthpiece on, and some kids could be like, fuck you, pig. I was like, is that your car right there? That, that's a cool car, man. And they were like, oh, you like my Camaro? And yeah. I would just like distract them and shit. Like, look at this over here. Don't, don't mind, I just rode all over your building. Look at this, you know? So I learned the art of... Uh, of, of them having a mouthpiece or being able to have some type of sales or uh, borderline bullshit, how that works for you to kind of smoke and screen people into looking at your art or right. paying attention to you at all. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, it's actually the art of negotiating the world. You know, that's kind of like how you interact yeah. with people, you know? And, sure. and, and then like, so in one part of the, one part of the documentary, you, know, you got, got, you got busted, like, and you know, your dad had to get you out of like, you know, you were like, I don't know, I guess the police station or something like that. Yeah. And um, 
for some reason, I sounded like that was like a turning point for you where you're like, well, you know what? I love art and I love graffiti, but you were young, like 12 years old. And you're like, I could probably make some money, like, you know, make like airbrushing t-shirts and stuff. Right. Like, right. I mean, I don't know if I have all the facts exactly right, but. Yeah. It's right about that time. I mean, I was actually 17 and I was a senior in high school and the cops came, the detectives pulled me on purpose because I was going to turn 18. And, uh, but they knew my father from some party they went to, man. You know what I mean? How fortunate that the arresting detective that's been looking for me knows my old man. And because he knew my old man, he was like, this kid must be all right because his dad's such a character, you know? So, yeah, it, it's my family kind of prepped me. And, and my old man was like, you got to go get a job, man. And a job meant working with him at his print shop. He had a mom and pop's print shop. They would print business cards, mm. uh, restaurant menus, that type of stuff. It's real hard work, and it's a lot of like watching printing presses. And I was like, "Hell no, I don't want to do that shit. That's way too hard. I'm going to do this art thing." And right away, I started to get jobs doing graffiti on movie sets. They would, I would show up to Warner Brothers or Paramount Studios in Hollywood with a briefcase of spray paint in it. And they would wow. say, can you terrorize this wall? And I was like, I was doing that shit for free on the street. You know, I just, right. and I just did the same shit. I wrote my homeboy thing just like I was doing when I got busted. And that was it. I was like, I never have to go back. You know, I would go up and down through my life with getting in trouble and like ups and downs with, with uh, experimenting with drugs and, and that type of stuff. Uh, but as the art of my base and having a solid, I think, upbringing, it kept me from being a full-blown right. addict or full-blown fucking homeless guy or something. Yeah, yeah. No one's above that, but drugs will get you there faster, you know? Yeah, well, I guess it makes you a little bit, your elasticity like, kind of pulls you back in, you know, when you're kind of teetering on an edge like that. Um, you know, one of the things I also was drawn by was, for some reason, you have a way to like monetize this skill, you know, which a lot of people have a hard time doing. And, and there's like a couple mm. of points where I thought about that. One is, so yeah, you were doing like graffiti for sets and stuff, and you're monetizing things that way, you know, then like you started doing logos, like you did like, I mean, I don't know if this was all linear, but you know, logos sure. for like Cypress Hill, and you know, those are the guys you were running with, and you know, the, sure. you know, all that sort of stuff. And then at some point, you know, you started like, you know, switching from airbrushing and, and uh, you know, graffiti to tattooing. Sure. Um, but I imagine it's like everyone, at, everyone must like at some point, even like really prominent folks must hit you up for free stuff, like way back, say even like, you know, like, hey, can you do sure. this tattoo for me? You know, mm. how do you get like, how do you divide like you know doing something like pro bono like doing something for like a, a celebrity and saying no you know what no that like everyone like when you went on that tour and you were tattooing everyone on that tour you know were they paying you or were you doing all that stuff like pro bono um i learned at a young age just to charge everybody and give them a discount to those that you want so to those guys they were getting it for half price but they were still paying me Okay. So, uh, people love to hear that shit. I, mean, I got it for half price. Nothing's free. Like, if I do it for them and I don't charge them a monetary, like, money, 
I would say, hey, man, can you come and speak to these kids for me? Or could you guest on this? I need you for that. So there's bartering, but never free. So right. there's always a, a barter in the situation. So anybody listening to this that is doing um, still on the come up, always barter. Don't use the f- word free. It's a four-letter word. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, yeah, there's always some type of string attached. Yeah. And sometimes it, it uh, you were better off just charging. Right. But when I was first getting up, it was a barber that I was going to put my work at this guy's shop, and it's the hottest shop. And I'm getting paid in, in, in notoriety. I'm getting paid in this guy's trust. Because I told him, don't worry about it, man. And, you know, rich guys, they love to get stuff for uh, – for a good price for free, you know? So the illusion even that he's getting it for free to me is worth something. So, uh, yeah, it, it's tough, man, because artists, poor, broken, lonely artists is very, very common. Um, I did it for most of my life with no expectations of being paid, like between graffiti and I could uh, When you start off, but airbrush and t-shirts, I was able to get paid right after. Mm-hmm. Like you say, hey, man, I want my, my kid's name on my shirt or my wife's and my kid's name and, or my last name on the back. I could do that. And then right there, I would fold it, put it in the bag. And, and that's how I kind of started apparel. I right. started in the fashion industry. I ended up in Milan in Fashion Week, but started off at a swap meet in Los Angeles as a kid, airbrushing shirts. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Crazy. So was, that, was that like at a storefront you were doing that? Or people would say, hey, man, I know this guy does sick airbrushing. He can make a T-shirt for you, and you'd kind of like do it at your house. I did them everywhere. So I would post up at a little – if it was Christmas, I would go to the Long Beach Mall and stand in the window. If it was a car show, I'd go to the car show at the uh, high school parking lot and set up 10 by 10. If it was um, – someone a big baller like freeway rick rick ross the original kingpin in la he had a big wheel shop and i used to sit up there oh, wow. and it'd be all crip gang members and like crazy shit but i just mind my own business and just paint keep wow. my nose to the shirt and i was able to travel anywhere wow so i think there's like there's two things that just got from what you just said so one is like folks who look at your life and look look at all the success you've created and literally it's kind of like a magical existence and you did all this amazing cool stuff hanging out with like the coolest people like wow man you know cartoon he he just got so lucky man there's like he's just got lucky but you know they don't see that you sit you sitting in front of like a rim shop and you know hustling you know grinding Mm -hmm. Or they don't see that when, since you were like a four-year-old kid, the 10,000 hours, the 10,000 purposeful hours of practice, like you put yeah. that time and it's not like, Hey, okay. Like, you know, you just fell into this. Like there's like a real, there's a whole hard work element to this. Right. Exactly. A great observation. I mean, it's similar. Look, it's not the same, but it, it looks a little bit the way that you guys have to go to school. There's no way to cut those hours. There's no way to shortcut those years that you have to put in to your, uh, to your, to your practice or to you learning for you to, to mold the stuff. It's so easy for someone who actually didn't see the documentary, just kind of knows you 
I would get the tattoo by you. It's like, oh, wow, this guy lucked out. Look, he's doing tattoos for all these like fat, you know, super famous people, and you know, but it's not sure. something happen. Hap- it just doesn't just like happen like this, man. There's like no. so much grind behind that, you know. Yeah, I mean, people don't see that. You don't. We didn't film that back in the day. It's hours on hours, thousand hours, you know, of just when no one's watching, man. No one's patting you on the back. You're making mistakes. You misspell shit. It just, it's just not flowing. Your tools aren't working right. Um, this is a part of it. It's either that or you work at a department store and someone's giving you a hard time. Or Either way, you're going to get a hard time, right? It's just what environment do you want to be in? Um, and I, I chose art, and it, it just, uh, I, I actually like it. So that's why they say, you know, love your job, because either way, it's going to be work, right? Because I don't always get to paint what I want to paint. I only get to do what I want to do. So most of the time I do, but sometimes I don't. So it all kind of evens out. And like, like what you're talking about, I think people have a misconception that I'm lucky. But I was told that luck is labor using correct knowledge, right? It's being prepared for opportunity. Um, it's labor. You got to work your ass off using correct knowledge, finding out what works in your life and applying that. Now, in between that's a bunch of mistakes. You're going to face plant a couple of times. You're going to be humiliated. And then you shake that off and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that way again. Let me try it this style. And especially for art and stuff like that. And I imagine with you guys, every client's different. Every person has a different makeup, like with tattooing, you know? Yeah. Everyone has different skin. You get a Japanese girl. She's a vegan. She has milky white skin, the most perfect canvas tattoo on. And then I have one of my homeboys that works for the city, sits in the fucking sun all day. <laughs> He's got leather skin. He hasn't ate a salad in three years. I drink water. The only water he drinks is in the beard. Yeah. And uh, this guy has a different texture skin. He bends yeah. the needle. Yeah. So if it's not one thing, it's another. So that's why you got to love what you do. Yeah, man. No, totally. It's, I mean, all of these like old, these like sayings that are kind of so worn out, man, like failure way to success or, you know, uh, embrace failure, embrace criticism. And there's so much value to all the people say that shit because it's true, you know, or like 10,000 purposeful hours of practice, you know, like all of that mm-hmm. stuff. There's a real truth behind all of that. You don't, you know, like success isn't created overnight. All of that's just stupid, trite sayings that everyone says. But it's all like real shit. But when you talk to somebody yeah. who's at, you know, like it's, this is demonstrating it. That like, wow, you can't be a Mr. Cartoon without failing like 10,000 times and making mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, working shitty jobs that you didn't want to work or doing stuff that you didn't necessarily want to do. Yeah, it's in it's under the term of art and the stuff that you were doing was all art. But like you said, there's shit that you just didn't want to do. Like, you know, that it wasn't inspiring you. It was more to get paid. You know, you gotta do, sometimes you just got to do that. Yeah, you always have to be evolving. You always have to keep an open mind. I'm always open for new concepts, easier ways to make things happen. If you got a better way, I want to hear about it. You know, so that if you got actually, a secret, I want to hear about it. That actually really, that's, this is another observation that I made was, it just seems like throughout your entire career, and this is like different than other folks, is that you've always embraced like technology or whatever's like the latest thing that's out there. I noticed there's like one part in the, in the movie towards the end 
where you were like sitting in front of like a big computer and you were actually sketching on like a digital pad. And yeah. uh, you, you said something somewhere in the documentary about like how, you know, other guys didn't necessarily embrace like the, you know, technology or computers and stuff, but you always like use it as like a tool. It doesn't like diminish your art. It's just like a different tool. Um, I, I don't know if I remember the exact phrase, but it was something that I was yeah. like, wow. I was like, that is amazing. You know, and that's how you stay relevant, you know, like just decade after decade, you know? Yeah, you want to keep the old school stuff that's real. Like I open the door for people or say thank you or be polite to the server somewhere. I like that old school type stuff. But then, you know, I might just order the stuff on my phone prior to I get there. So I don't know. I think maybe my generation is the the um, last that, that is down to embrace all that type of stuff. If my buddies that are 10 years older than me, forget it they can't even know how to use their phone you know what i mean right. so it's um keeping an open mind for that anything that makes my life easier or it helps me explain it to people i'm down you know uh but yeah it, it i've been doing stuff by hand my whole life i already know how to do that right right so now we're doing this technology the zoom technology yeah. so this is the this is it this is the future now everyone's gonna have like a little set or a the studio where they shoot their stuff. I started years ago. I started isolating years ago. I started, uh, the less people I, that distract me, the better. The better, you know, that if you're writing a book or, or making songs or do anything that you need concentration, uh, people can be a distraction. I have teenage children right now. I'm telling them, it don't even get good to your 20 years old, 21, you know what I mean? Work your ass off now until then. Then you have paper stacked up. You have a car. You have your own shit. Then you take that girl out because you now you got a great foundation you're standing on. You got your shit together, you know. Then start to celebrate a little bit, you know. But people yeah. don't start busting out sometimes to the 30 or these concepts. So I'm trying to like my kids. I'm reliving my whole childhood, and I'm reliving the almost jump in a time machine. And if I could redo it, this is, I'll do it through them. Right. So I'm like, don't worry about what people say, man. That's their opinion, man. Uh, I heard something real great the other day. One more of those cliche type of uh, um, things we run through in our head. And that is um, try real hard not to offend anybody, but try extra hard not to be offended. So... That. People can say stuff to us. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm -hmm. Sure. So Wayne Dyer, I started like, you know, I, I'm a skeptical humanist. You know what I'm saying? So I need stuff brought to me real legit. You know what I mean? I mean, not, not real legit. I need to at least see it. Or I need it needs to make sense to my common sense. And if it doesn't, then I can kind of, okay, maybe I'm educated in that. I can kind of keep an open mind but all this stuff like if you practice you're going to get something if you uh, what you put out kind of you know i don't know it's that whole uh karma, a lot of people are talking energy. about it now yeah i don't even know it's karma like i've been to india and i was like okay i got like this american version of karma in my head and i definitely don't think it's some like if karma is like some indian guy in the sky and he's Hindu man and he's keeping 
<laughs> track of all the small bullshit like, hey, you know, you were really rude to that lady the other day. Well, guess you're going to get no car accidents, sir. <laughs> and that's some terrible shit if that's going on. Yeah. But I think no, what people are trying to say, right, because people throw the, the words karma, yeah. blessed. They throw these words around. Hashtags. Trying to be nice. Uh, it's, it is a sweet thing to say. Hey, karma's a motherfucker, you know. But I think payback and karma, like, get connected somehow. I think what people mean is that what you put out, you shall usually receive. Doesn't always work that way. There's my my aunt right now, such a sweet woman, man. Ain't never stole from no one. She's positive for the coronavirus and like on her deathbed right now. Uh, life is not fair, man. Kobe goes down in a plane. Is you know like shit is not fair, bro. And uh, it won't be. And uh, Donald Trump will probably live forever. You know, this is just the way it goes. But uh, you tried to help those along the way and and be kick and kick ass too with your with what you do, like artwork and stuff, or just being cool. Like, if you work at the fucking Foot Locker, you need to be the the energy in that place. You need to be the man or the woman. You need to be after that manager's position. And, pay attention, like look people in the eyes, man, and be grateful. You might even have to go meditate in the bathroom before you go out there and say, don't be an asshole today, you know? Like, that's what I do. I try to calm myself down and say, you ain't gotta be right. You don't have to win sometimes. You can just show love, you know what I'm saying? I love that. So man. I'm not trying to get too heavy, you know? No, I love that. I know it's, it's interesting. It's early. <laughs> what are the, it's, it's, I mean, I love, Everything you just spit right there, man. I really do. And, you know, that's kind of, it's it's sort of this uniform energy thing, you know, and, and I love it. I, and I think there's a lot of value there. Yeah, life isn't always fair. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. But there is some sort of, I mean, I believe there's something, you know, it is like sort of the average of the energy that you put out. <laughs> it's like what you get back. If you're an asshole all the time, you know, like it's just the world's going to turn, people are going to turn on you, you know. Um, well, some people are sweethearts their whole life. And they just, they get hit by a truck. Yeah. That's true. No, <laughs> it's it happens. fucked yeah. up, right? Yeah. So, but being good, it feels good. Yeah. Helping someone out feels good. Being clear, ain't no one talking to this person. Go wrap, top, chop it up with that person at the party. I don't know. Try to just break out of your, your shell. It helps, you know? Yeah, man. No, I, I, absolutely, man. Um, you know, just, I guess, kind of going back to like some of the entrepreneurial stuff that like really mm. kind of blew my mind when I was, when I was watching this. And I actually listened to a podcast that you did, uh, oh. which I, I forget who was with them, but it was so good. It was like an hour and 20 minute long podcast, but I was just like, really, man, it just, it drew me in. And like, your story is just so, it's, it's just so many facets to it. And you were talking about, um, like working with Nike and like how that all mm. went down and how you started like designing sneakers. Yeah. And I, I thought a great line from that was they were talking about like you were going to come and maybe just do like the same tattoo for a bunch of people at the party. And uh, like someone, one of your boys said, no, man, don't, you know, don't do that. You got to go as like a guest because that puts you as, on the same plane yeah. as other people at the party. And I thought that was just such a brilliant, um, like just, it was such a brilliant comment by your friend or whoever that was. I don't know exactly who told you to yeah. do that, but. It was like, yeah, you're not, you don't want to be like a circus act at the party, like the guy, like, you know, you want to, you know, and, and I think that really made a big difference, no? Like, going in with that mindset 
it really kind of set the stage for like this huge thing that came up. Yeah, I mean, for the background of people that didn't hear that, I think it might have been NPR or something like that, one of those official podcast things. But um, they go, how'd you get your Nike deal? And first, I just kind of knocked on the door. Some guy I knew it worked at Nike. And uh, Nike's important at the main office, but they have Southern California and New York offices that are real strong, right? So anyways, my buddy, I hit my buddy up, and he was like, yeah, man, you know, a lot of people want to do shoes, bro. And I was like, fuck, man, I thought he'd be more hyped, you know what I mean? And uh, he goes, but let me think about it, bro. So he calls me, like, a week later, my boy B. Wynn, good dude, man. And he was like, I got it. I got you 10 racks, $10,000. I'm going to fly you to New York, first class, put you up in a boutique hotel. And you just got to go there and just tattoo one of your friends, bro. It's mainly for visuals for you to be there because they're introducing laser technology onto the shoe. And I go, wow, that, that does sound pretty fucking good. You know what I mean? 10 buttons and all that shit. But then my, my uh, buddy at the time who was acting as a manager, because I started to deal with these big companies, I couldn't negotiate myself anymore. It looked crazy. Like I'd show up with my homeboy and get intimidated. You know, so I was like, I need someone to represent me, someone that went to school. So who someone did that? that? Like, and that's an important point, I think, because like I said, this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier, but like, you know, sort of like monetizing what you're doing. Like you're doing such things on a huge scale now. Like, right, you can't be like, hey, all right, you know, like how's this gonna go down? Like you it's like you have to have like a team, right? Because like it just yeah. legitimizes A, you need it, but B it legitimizes your offer, like your, you know, your enterprise. For sure. You, you, you need a team. You, you have to uh, stop negotiating for yourself. You need a lawyer involved. Uh, I'm doing contracts with these people. I don't want them to own my artwork forever. They own it for a certain amount of time. And then after that, they have to renegotiate. Just the fair business that every other guy gets. I want that. And uh, normally we wouldn't get that from major corporations. They're like, oh, these guys, they don't know what's up. Get them to sign, sign right here. And most artists, you know, um, have it when they get offered that much money and that opportunity uh, would be a fool not to jump on it, right? Uh, but I was going to, in my head, I was going to win either way. But I, I, I hypercharged, I supercharged my career by trying to see myself equal to other designers and because i hadn't been to school because i hadn't been to fashion school or university i didn't have that confidence that i was a, a fashion designer i didn't know i was that till they told me that shit i've been called a lot of things i'm never <laughs> a fashion designer so i was like okay i'll take that you know and uh i ended up turning down that offer and said uh no man but i'll go there if they want to fly me out as a designer like as one of the peers there because all my heroes in the shoe game were going to be there right and the guy told me man you, you fucked it all up you know this and i was like oh man i did you know and then he comes back a week later and says uh they said yes wow. now it ended up turning into my shoe career and so by pushing that 10 grand, that was very, very tempting, right? And even if I would have took it, I'd, I might have been okay down the line. But I had to roll the dice on it and, and take a chance on myself that, you know what? That, you're right. I, I do deserve that. 
So um, a lot of that is is timing, and it's having like this whole movie. It's not about me. It's half about me. Well, a lot of it's about the culture, and then it's about my friend Estevan Odio. Now, the movie is shot from his eye. It's shot from the inside out. So we're um, actually in very few pictures together because he's shooting it. So at a at about 20, 21, uh, I met him and he was another guy on the same mission, on the same quest to have Latinos in Hollywood, right? Like we were raised in Southern California and some of my friends, they don't even know how to get to Hollywood, more or less work with Hollywood, you know? Uh, I think if more of them had the opportunity, they would. If they're like, hey man, you could be a fucking electrician on the, or you could be a, a gaffer, or you could be this or that on a movie set. Uh, Hollywood's pretty fun, man. It's like a, it's like a, 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 for school when you go on a field trip, you know what I mean? And, and there's craft service tables and food and <laughs> bottles everywhere and beautiful people and, and it's Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, it kind of seemed like a way we got over. You paying me for having fun type shit. Yeah. But yeah, so what would, if you guys watch this movie, uh, LA Originals, you'll see me on a team basically, which eventually turned into Cypress Hill and Soul Assassin to my crew, but everyone's responsible for themselves. It's like you're on an Olympic team, but everyone's got to go out there and stand on their own by themselves. Yeah. So for us in the Soul Assassin crew, we wanted to bring hip hop and tattooing together which prior to that was like a lot of bikers doing the tattoos. A lot of guys that didn't listen to hip hop were doing uh, rappers tattoos. So right. for us, we were going to change that. You did. I mean, God, you did it on like a crazy scale, man. I mean, God, you, who haven't you tattooed? It's like the list is literally, it's, I mean, it's insane. We tattooing celebrities ain't as, as great as it sounds a lot of times, you know. Um, a lot of times they'll show up with an entourage. Dude, I get it. They're yeah. hours late. Um, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> but one celebrity, you know, you know, one celebrity though, you could use that name, and it goes. Yeah. It gets you. It gets you these type of interviews. You know, it's interesting because I do. I I see a lot of celebrity patients in my New York City office. But like with the doctor thing, you can't say who your celebrity patients are. He has all these laws and rules and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know. I gotta agree. I couldn't agree with you more. Like a regular guy, like a cop, fireman, a teacher. Those are my favorite patients. Like those are the yeah. are, there's no drama. Like, you know, there's just like a regular person where sometimes, yeah, it sounds great. Like I'm a celebrity dermatologist. I see all these, you know, famous people, but there's yeah. a lot of headache that wraps around that, you know, like they're, they're, yeah. like they're late or you got to go in super early. So people don't see them or it's a sure. whole production. Their assist, you got to deal with their assistants. You got to do this, you got to do that. So I, I totally feel that, man. You know, it does add a lot of credibility, but it also, you know, it's like the, you know, I'm sure like the, the when you tattoo just like a regular, some regular guy like me or something like that, like, you know, it, it could be potentially a more enjoyable experience, you know? Way, yeah, way more because, you know, you use regular guy by your name, but uh, I think far from, you know, regulars, like my cousin's on his couch, 50 years old at his mom's house. That's a regular guy. You, on the other hand, you have a, you have something you want to do. You, you went to a lot of schooling. You're a perfectionist. You you even want to talk about it and like 
Because there's one thing of being a doctor and there's another thing being articulate and being able to talk about it. There's a lot of artists and I imagine people in your trade are better at what they do and maybe not so great with the mouthpiece. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, artists usually hate interviews. They don't want uh, people judging their work. They don't want to hear fuck all that, this and that. Right. But I, I kind of, um, it's the only thing I know about is, is culture and, and art. So, but I, I mirror myself to someone like you. And I'm like, I look at the years that you put in and I look at the service and you go and do stuff. And I try to uh, mirror or mimic myself after the, the traits I like, getting the firemen in an occasional cop or a fucking someone that got out from 10 years doing time. These are the best people to talk to and yeah. conversate. And, well, it keeps you yeah. grounded too, man. You know, and sure. just two, two other things. Sorry, man, chewing your ear off, man, but you're just like, you're really no, you're not yourself even. fascinating to me. Um, oh, and just to clean up before you say that, that regular guy on the couch smoking weed, he makes it in sometimes too, saves up his chips. Yeah. They're pretty funny too, so... Um, <laughs> Everyone, we're all right here. You know, yeah, man. no one better it. than nobody. Well, you know, you mentioned, I think this might have been for that podcast I was listening to, that like your dad was like really into motivational, like Tony Robbins type stuff. And he like yeah. make you listen to that. And then some of the, yeah. a lot of things that you're saying or that I've heard you say either in that podcast or now or just mm. throughout, the, throughout the film. Sure. It kind of like, there's like this, like, it resonates some of that, that positivity that like, you know, can yeah. be. And, and you know what? And like, you tell me if I'm wrong, man, but I bet you some of that stuff rubbed off on you, man. Like, you know, like it gave you, it empowered you in a way, you know, without you realizing it. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's a form of a uh, sophisticated child abuse, if you will. To, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, what do they call it? Emotional incest, where you <laughs> pump up your kids that they're the greatest fucking thing in the world. And they believe it. So it's reverse abuse, right? Like you wake, hey, son, and you love him, and you hug him, and you fucking tell him they can be anything. I mean, that's, that's what my parents did. And, and my dad, being a, a blue-collar guy, had a, a print shop on the corner in, in Gardena. He, um, he listened to that shit because he didn't go to college. He didn't go to university. He didn't, but he was smart, and he wanted to learn. So he would listen to Zig Ziglar, Earl Nightingale, Tony Robbins, and right. he'd play that. I go, Dad, please, man, don't play that old man, please. And son, you should listen to this. This is good for you. And I was like, Oh man, he took me to school playing that shit. And little by little, that stuff snuck into my unconscious yeah. and told me well, I got one thing out of it. Whatever. I believe it's true. If I believe I can do it, I'm right. If I believe I'm a lazy piece of shit, I'm right. Yeah. Whatever I push towards will manifest. And I am not, I'm, like I said, I'm a skeptical, free thinking person that I don't believe in magical powers. I don't believe in someone getting zapped and has got some shit that, you know what I'm saying? I just think that um, I fell in love at a young age with something and I put 10 years of practice in when I was a kid. So when you look at it like, oh my God, this kid's 20 years old in London doing graffiti. 
it's because of those 10 things because right. I fucking had my old man tell me I could do it. It's because, because I looked in the mirror and said, you got, you must do this. You have to do it. No, you know, so, um, maybe my care, my kids will be on a whole other page because they're getting everything I have. And plus they will go hopefully be the first ones in our family to go to university yeah. and take in and learn how to, um, break shit down deeper than what I can teach him. Yeah, I, I love that, man. You, know, you mentioned earlier, that this is something also I thought was so interesting, is, you know, I, I grew up very humble beginnings. You know, like I'd go to someone's house, they had haagen I was like, oh, shit, this person's loaded, man. I mean, damn. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and now, like, I'm on the other extreme, you know, like where for a while I was just kind of like lost and like, you know, not lost, but like I had all this like, you know, like fleet of fat cars and like fancy sure. house and golf and club membership. Sure. And, and, you know, you can kind of get lost in that. And a lot of what sure. I'm doing now is actually a big like reset, like kind of yeah. really wanting to give back and like, you know, kind of making That's sure because, right. you know, like money's into can be very intoxicating and, you know, sure. like you can kind of lose purpose. And, you know, it was a very short lived time where that sort of happened to me where, I had a bunch of people working for me and I was like playing golf all the time. And I was you know, living the quote unquote dream. Like I thought I had arrived, you know, and it was sure. cool for like a couple of weeks, but then I was like, you know, this kind of sucks. Like, what am I doing? And I, you know, and you mentioned like with the kids, like it's interesting cause I grinded so hard to have all these things that I never thought I'd be able to have. Mm -hmm. And I surpassed what I thought I could have by a lot, you know, like what I, by the benchmark right. of success, I, you know, surpassed it. And my kids don't have any of that. Like they don't have, mm -hmm that drive you know like that yeah. like wow you know like i'm gonna fucking do this and i'm gonna work my ass off seven days a week you know whatever it takes whatever it takes. even like with this sort of stuff i just saw my yeah. patients and like now i can work corny but i love this this is my passion but sure. like you know everything takes a lot of work you know how how do you put that hustle like you know into mm. your kids you mentioned that earlier that's why i was, I was just kind of curious you sure. know because you know you i mean god you grinded hard you know as hard sure. as, as anyone could possibly grind yeah i mean it, it that's a complicated question because um a you deserve that stuff because all you're really talking about is stuff that you want to do that's quality right you want to go to mastro steakhouse you're going to get a good steak it's more expensive than the other places hey maybe you go there on your birthday you know what i'm saying like it's okay to have luxurious things because luxurious usually just means made well so like those cars, German cars, Germans are nuts, right? They make the best cars. Um, so once you get, experience that, you can make the decision whether you want it or not. But if you've right. never had it, you can't tell somebody, yeah. hey man, don't shoot to have that new truck or don't shoot to have your own home uh, because we've already been through it and we know that that'll never satisfy you all the way, right? But there is a, um, I do like quality. I like quality hotels, good restaurants. And so I bust my ass to do it, right? Now with my kids, but then let me balance it out here. I go and speak at schools, right? So I say to myself, this is getting fucked up. Like I'm getting it twisted. This can't be real. So I'll go into a youth authority. I'll go into the LA County Jail. I'll go into the juvenile prison. I'll go to the at-risk kids or the high school, junior high, and I'll do an hour pitch on art, on my blueprint, for free. And I give it away with no expectations. 
I've been doing that for about 20 years now. I don't post it. I don't put it out there. This is under the radar what I do to keep my ego in somewhat check. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so for my children, I'm taking them to school. I look in the rearview mirror. I'm asking them questions. They're not responding to me. Each one of them has headphones on watching the show. And they tell me like, hold on. Let me, let me get the almost. And I'm like, this is going to be hard. Yeah. So what I do, I don't over compliment my kids. Yeah. I hit it right in the middle. I hit it where my parents complimented me. I hit it right here. And the other half, I go, you still need to work harder. It's, it's not up to par. It's not good enough yet. I got to have a little Joe Jackson in me, if you know what I'm talking about. I do, I do man. I do. Just I do. a smidge. Yeah. He yeah. kicked his kids' asses into yeah. being global icons. Yeah. I just want my kids to be the best they can be and to be humble. And I take, so when I'm pissed at them, I don't smack them. I take the shit they like away. Right. I take their laptop. I take their phone. And I go draw or something. You have to do something. So I, and I make them pause and draw. Go practice guitar. Go do something to to balance your brain out. And I'm 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 fucking nuts. So like in my household, my kids are like, "Yo, pops is fucking crazy." Like, I broke you. Will not be some entitled, spoiled, the boss's son, the boss's daughter. I hated those people, and yeah. and I was that. So I was my old man was the boss of the print shop. Right. And I was probably a little cocky fucker fucking with his employees, stealing their porno mags. I would do all kinds of shit, you know, that I knew I could get away with. But it'll be a challenge, man, to keep our yeah. kids humble. And I think by us showing them what poverty looks like, with you know, uh, homeless people, helping out some homeless people, uh, they're in the middle because the, we're, we're Chicanos, right? So... You go to Mexico, they look at you as, a, as American, you're vulture, yeah. you're fucking Americanized, get the fuck out of here. You come here, they're talking about, we need to build that wall. Right, That's So they're, they're like, man, where do I fit in? Am I even American totally. and shit, you know? Totally. It's but funny, it's similar, you're... man. Well, I'm from, I'm from okay. my family's from India. I was born in Brooklyn, but my family's from India. Yeah. Same thing, like yeah. you go to India, and like people who are like from India, we're like, oh, this guy's like soft American. They call them like sure. ABCDs, they're like American born confused. They sees the word oh, used like someone who's Indian. Um, yeah, and, and, and then like here when I grew up, I in, so I didn't fit in over there. Then I, I grew up on like, I lived in Brooklyn. Then we moved to the South Shore of Long Island, very blue collar neighborhood. It was like Italian, Irish, Jewish neighborhood. And like, you know, I just get the shit kicked sure. out of me in my neighborhood on the bus stop. because I was the only brown kid with she glasses. Thinks. You know, like it's, it's, it's a similar yeah. thing. When, 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 when you're a minority. You just said you were Puerto Rican. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're better off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, even now, it's interesting, like being a a minority, I, like in present day. You know, it's just like a it's a, it's a crazy thing, man. You know, and like you know, I think each minority subgroup has like their own shit that they deal with. You know, and like sure. you know, I remember like nine eleven happened. Like you know, people who were like, you know, like they can't tell the difference term, between yeah. a Hindu and. Yeah, I'm just you know, this is like now, like God, like you know, like Chinese people are just getting tormented. Thai people, I mean, it, it makes no sense. These are Chinese people that live here. It's like you know, it's but some it's, of them are uh, Filipino or Japanese. Totally, man. It's just like you know, it's just the level of ignorance, which is you know, it's unfortunate, but it's 
that's what being well, I, that's why we're minorities you know yeah i mean i i uh i've gotten everything i've needed to get you know i want to unfortunately my my uh family on my mom's side's a little bit lighter than my old man's side you know so we, the spaniard side's been coming up but uh you know it uh it, it's it's you can't use anything to hold you back you gotta push forward right i, I went to mumbai to tattoo some some bollywood stars nice. and my friend sunny out there and i gotta see the real india bro i was there for two weeks wow and I even went to a city and stayed at a hotel. They didn't have, we were the only people in the hotel, me and Esteban. And uh, no, no, uh, there was no hot water in the, in the hotel. But it was oh, like geez. a four-star hotel, like a fancy hotel with no hot water. In, you know? Jeez. But when you looked outside, you were like, okay, yeah, we pretty still good. got it. Fucking <laughs> we ended up in like a five-star Hilton somewhere or whatever, right? But as soon as you walk out to the hotel, yeah, it's There's crazy. Armed guards, and you're in a slum. Dude, it's crazy. India's slum. crazy. Slum. You've been, you've been. Uh, yeah, the level of poverty. Home. It's like I remember the first time I went as like an adult. I was in medical school, and I went with my mom. I used to yeah. keep a journal at that time, and uh, I was it literally. I, I just, it was hard to take, man. You know, it's it was actually really hard to take. I mean, I thought Mexico poverty, which you could get like stupid, crazy poverty, you know. Um, but India was definitely on another level, yeah, a bigger country. <clears throat> but I'd seen a lot of beauty also, you know, of course, um, for the people. And uh, man, I, I did feel like a lazy piece of shit when I was there looking at those people. Like, I have everything. Yeah. I have zero to complain about. Uh, money can fix basically any problem. So, um yeah, I seen some like couples like were on mopeds and shit, and were like in love and like having a full blown conversation, which is hundred percent poverty. It looked like a random, and I'm like sweating. Like my wife curved my twenty twos or some shit, you know? Like yeah. this shit's fucked up, you know? No, it's, I know it's, it puts shit in perspective, man, for sure. Um, hey, man, just I, like I said, I could talk to you forever, but there was a couple of questions I just wanted to ask you, like before, I, sure. before you know, we sign off here. One is, can you talk just a little bit about, like, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of folks that love tattoos that are that listen to this just because, you know, you're a legend. Sure. The goat. And uh, can you talk about how tattoo culture has just kind of evolved? Like, you know, it's become like so, it's been so legitimized and like, you know. Sure. Uh, and it's, it's uh, I mean, it's got to be great for what you do, but it's, it's the whole culture is just totally changed so much, you know? I, I had no idea. I really didn't. I, I just thought that, a graffiti writer should have full sleeve tattoos. You know what I mean? And that, and my friends that were like so dope at graffiti, finally when I got good enough to like go paint a wall with them, I'm like 17, maybe, they're like, fuck that, graffiti's whack. And I was like, oh <laughs> shit. Now I do finally I got good enough. And they're like, that shit's whack. What are you talking about? So I had to like, re I had to like understand that I had to keep evolving i had to keep moving um but to see them get tattooed like that i fell in love with the culture and i wasn't into the oh this is going to be a global sensation this and that. i just wanted to be in there and be a part of it you know it ended up being on accident something that most people want 
Now, prior to that, I was a commercial artist. I would do wall murals. I would do a logo for your business. I would do an album cover. I would mural a car. I could do pretty much everything associated to that. But only professional people that own companies want that shit. Your average Joe walking through the mall, he wants a tattoo or he wants one fixed or his old lady wants one. Or, they know something, but they don't want like a wall mural. They don't want the car mural. They'll drive a fucking Prius, you know? So uh, it took me to a whole other place and it just exploded under my feet. Not just because of me, but everybody doing their thing, you know, kind of just blew it. And I turned down all those reality shows for LA Inc. and all these ones they came to me with just because I wanted to do a documentary like that, what came out. Right. That was in my head what I see us in, not like a show I got to get ratings and, and be like, do wacky things and argue with my old lady. It was, but I'm glad the people that did do it, did it. So I didn't have to do it because it did bring awareness to tattooing and calm a lot of people down and a lot of like ball players and people maybe that wouldn't be exposed to tattooing. He's got it, but I'll, I'll end this with this, just this, this question. It's funny that I'm talking to you about it, but now the cross-contamination, blood-borne pathogen, all that stuff's gonna be looked at different. Like we have to take classes with the health department, right? And I have to have a license. So I have to take these classes and study these to learn about cross-contamination. Now your average Joe on the street needs to understand about cross-contamination and how we get, get ourselves sick and how we have other sick. So now I have to relook the way I tattoo. Now I'm going to have to come and dress the same way you are when you do an operation. In other words, I was tattooing like this with gloves mm -hmm. and I bagged all my equipment. I bagged all my equipment and I use one-off needles. Everything's one-off. Mm -hmm. The inks, mm -hmm. everything's thrown away afterwards. Um, now I'm going to have to have a mask, a, gl a glass, the plastic welders thing, you know, and, yeah. and sleeved up and, and wash even 10 minutes long, you know, longer, five minutes longer, right. and all the way up to my elbows and just really no more like, hey, let's small, let's order lunch in the tattoo. Tip. It's going to be like, everything's ready. You come in, you get your pattern. It's me and you and the, I'm building the first anti-COVID shop right now. Where really? Everything can be wiped down. Everything's a one-on-one. -on -one. But I was building it just like that because I'm anti-social. <laughs> I didn't know it was like perfect for cleanliness and all this yeah. shit. But yeah, it worked out. Wow. Um, gonna open in like as soon as this ends. Yeah, man. I've been so working on it for a year. When someone comes to you, so you know, like, like every ball player has like a tattoo. I'm sure you've done like a whole bunch of them. Um, when someone comes to get like a sleeve or like a half a sleeve, do you do that all in one yeah. shot? Um, sometimes, sometimes these people, I can't do a whole sleeve in one day. Uh, I can get close, but it's traumatic on the. Either way, it's going to be traumatic on the customer, but I, on the client, I want to make it more of an enjoyable experience. I don't want these people to be like. That was horrible. So sometimes I'll spread it out with two days. Still back to, back to back? Or? Back to back. Yeah. The gotcha. most you can go before the tattoo starts healing is three days. So some people will get three days in a row. 
Wow. And that's extremely painful, but they live in fucking Australia. Like, they got to yeah. get it done. So right. they don't have the luxury of, like, coming back in two yeah. months or something. Do they take, like, meds or anything to, like, bear the pain? Uh, well, sometimes people pre-medicate themselves before right. they come in. Yeah. If that shit really worked, I would give it a prescription for them or some shit, but it doesn't really. It's just, like, if you... I, the guys that take pills anyways every day, well, go ahead. That's what you do, you know. But if you're taking it just to cover the pain, it won't work. Wow. So, um, yeah, it'll dumb it down a little bit. But, yeah, it's, you know, they made the rule, like, don't drink during the tattoo because then you're, you're – it's mainly because don't drink because you turn into an asshole. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I just – your blood's not that much. I'm not doing color work myself i only do black and gray but yeah you want if someone could go ahead and get drunk after <laughs> yeah. i want you to stay still put some headphones i want to also have a very calm relaxing experience for my clients yeah. you know i don't want to unfortunately i'm gonna to have to come in like a, like a doctor but it's for their safety for mine yeah. i got them opened up i'm basically a doctor this point, yeah, you know, it's like a surgical procedure, basically. Yeah, it's by the gloves I'm that not, I use. I'm not a doctor at all. <laughs> oh, I, I could dress right. up one. I could dress up one. Like, hey, Doctor Cartoon, man, you can just see that. <laughs> I used to put doctor in front of my name when I was a kid. When I was like 15, I put sir or doctor or some shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> so the, the gloves I actually use. So I love like black gloves. The gloves I use these gloves called Black Dragon. They're tattoo gloves. Yeah, yeah. For They're sure. like the best gloves I can find. You know, so it's funny. Yeah, all my yeah. videos, like my YouTube videos, I'm wearing these black tattooing gloves. Yeah, the you have because they're real thick. And yeah. tattooers, we poke ourselves, man. Whether we yeah. like it, I mean, I've been tattooing for 25 years and still poke myself here and there. But it 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 doesn't leave a mark. It doesn't make it through those gloves. You know. Yeah. So that's that's good. Hey man, listen. I, I like I said, I could talk to you all day, man. But I just, you know, I Same really, here, bro. I so appreciate you, man. I really, your energy. And listen, I'm a big energy guy, man. And you know, you know, <laughs> as skeptical as you may may be about it, I just, I really feel a lot of positivity from you, man. And I think your story no. is something that's going to just empower so many people, man. It's like you know, and I do believe the stuff your dad told you. I think you know, yeah, everyone can't do every single thing. Like I'm never going to be, you know, dunking a basketball. You know, it's just not going to happen. But well, but at least for the NBA, but yeah, but your limitations, possibly. everyone's limitations are here. You know, like sure, it's like yeah, I don't know if you know who David Goggins is, but he's you know like it's like he's like one of these guys that says you're at your maximum, you're still only using forty percent of your capability. You know, and I and I'm a big that. and I'm a big believer in that. And I think people hearing your story, some kid that loves art and like you know, sure. hearing that wow, like yeah, I can I can I think I could do something substantial. But you know what? I learned that I got to put a lot, a lot of work in. Like I got to, you know, put in the hours and the grind, and you know, maybe work a job I don't want to do or pay my dues. But yeah, you know what? I could maybe be like Mr. Cartoon or something at that level. You know. Sure. Well, with that, accompanied with that, you need to have, I believe, my opinion, clarity. So clarity yes. is just as important as all that hard work. Because you can put all that hard work into some bullshit and get Very that, true. right? So what I mean by clarity is I'll use myself as an example. I'm always starting something new, okay? When I, I just wanted to be an artist. I didn't know what 
it was going to be a graffiti artist or a tattoo artist. I just wanted to be an artist, right? So I, I, I made that decision. I'm clear on that. I'm clear on that I'm an artist by trade, right? So I went from a graffiti artist to being a commercial artist, then a commercial artist into uh, a fashion, say, we're a fashion artist, and then into a tattoo artist. And then from there, I was like, man, I, I love doing uh, storyboards. And, and so I've storyboarded uh, 20 music videos, right? And I like film. And from so many interviews, I've learned like uh, media training and, and that type of stuff. And I was like, man, I, in my head, like accomplishing all these different things, I'm at the point now where I want to do film. I want to do animation, right? So I'm having to start over at it. I've only done one professional animation that's been in a movie, but I've done small title ones that have been on online and, and different things. But um, I've been preparing for animation my whole life by being a storyteller, by, um, by practicing my art and learning as I go. So now I'm embarking into a new world. I don't have 20 years experience in animation to go do this. But I have to have a clear image of myself. What am I doing? Who's going to help me? Where am I going? How am I going to get this done? What time frame am I going to get this done? And how am I going to feel when it's done? So if I can figure out how am I going to feel, that, that feeling of, of accomplishment and that you grinded and that you did it, if I have that as a goal, then I know even though I'm feeling down and discouraged right now, I'm going to get that. So I have something to push towards. There's that self-help shit coming through me. Again, yeah, I mean, you know? totally, man. That's, uh, that's so beautifully said. You're right. The clarity, clarity is key. And that, that, when you see the end, end zone, it, it really it fuels those dark nights, you know, and those dark moments. Yeah. Fucked something up or, you know, you're hurting or, you, you know, you feel like you're not moving take it anywhere. All, yeah. yeah. Take it all in, you know, and take it all in and stuff you don't agree with, being that I'm so skeptical. I don't agree with certain things, but I can't argue with the amazing feeling I get when I look at my kids. I can't argue with uh, the feeling of desperation or nervousness or fear or the, the amazing uh, experiences I've had or a sense of humor, or laughter, or love. These are all invisible uh, feelings or concepts or things that we've named them that, but I can't explain it under a microscope love i mean i i can experience and i can see it happening but so I, i'm scared i i i'm a free thinker when it comes to that i i leave it open i i don't know i don't know everything and i i, I don't think i ever will but i sometimes know what works for me you know what i'm saying and i can watch you if i watch you all day i was like okay i see what time you get up and your, your routine okay i can apply some of that in my life you know um and when this is over, I know we could talk another hour. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So surround yourself by like-minded people. If you're not on a team of like-minded people, get on one, create one. Um, see what your vision is. What you, forward the movie all the way through. What is it that you want to do? Why? How's it going to look? You, you wanted my new studio? I completely saw it way before I, it ever appeared. I had to sketch it out on paper. I had to push towards it. That's how it manifested is because I put so much work. Okay. So uh, there's this movie called The Secret or a show. And have you ever seen that, The Secret? Nah, no, I never heard of it. it. It might be complete bullshit, but it's basically what you think about manifests. 
but they'll push it so far as like, you think about that new Bentley, it's going to show up in your driveway. And I'm like, true, but the $5,000 a month uh, <laughs> note will be there too. Hell so yeah, I know. careful what you ask for. That's so true, man. Well, I mean, listen, visualizing is key. And, you know, you are like, you know, you're just like a walking self-help book, man. You know, like all that stuff. I'm telling you, that stuff rubbed off on you, man. Like, <laughs> Well, some of that shit's bullshit. Like, if you look at your lawn, right? and say, no weeds, there's no weeds in my lawn, yeah. the weeds will take your fucking lawn, yeah, right? Sure, so sure. it's, I, I'll never, I looked at my son, I go, look, son, you can be whatever you want to be, but you know what? I'll take that back. You are never going to be dunking for the WNBA, ever in your life. <laughs> it will never work out for you. You'll never be a figure skater in the Olympics. That ain't going to happen for you. But you can design the Olympics logo or the merch. So you can be in it. Like if you love the NBA, five foot six, five foot eight Mexican ain't going to happen. But you could, you know, maybe, maybe you're the phenom of the, of the, you could change that. But for most people, yeah. they can get in there by working behind the scenes and still be involved and, and rise to the, and be friends with those guys. Totally, man. You know? Totally. That's 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 so well said, man. And Thank you, man. I think I think that's a good place to wrap it up, man. I mean, God, I don't think For I could sure. even be more inspired <laughs> after this conversation. Yeah, I mean, don't get it twisted when I'm in fetal position, worried tomorrow about some shit. But <laughs> with these concepts, I can pull out. Yeah, of it. man. No, it's awesome, man. Pull out yeah. of it. I really appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thank Doc. I appreciate you, man. Let's stay in touch. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to Dr. Dr. Mungo Podcast. Podcast. The audio for this podcast can be found on Apple's iTunes and SoundCloud. Let's get it.